Uh, real love is the theme of this portion of Romans. And so if you're new, we've been looking at what love is according to the Bible. And not all that love is, but in Romans 12, we get to see that in light of the good news, Romans chapters 1 through 11, in light of what God has done on our behalf for our good, it should affect not only our love for Jesus, but our love for each other. And so faith is always about an upward look, so to speak. Not that God is physically up. I don't know where his dwelling place is, but upward in that I'm looking to him. And it's always looking outward. I'm looking to you. So to say that I follow Jesus implies that I'm going to ask God to give me a greater capacity to love you like he loves you. That's just God's plan for us. Well, Brendan and I, we just got back on Thursday from a trip to, to Myanmar. Even though there's an R in the end, it's not pronounced that way. But um, we were meeting with Christian leaders and, and uh, business people, trying to get an assessment of what God is doing in that country. We're already serving in Myanmar through uh, an organization called Remember New. But we feel like there's more. And so I, I don't have time today to get into it. I am in the next couple of weeks some things that we saw that we feel like we can step into. But all that to say, you might be asking yourself rightfully, why go to another country? Why go to Asia with all of the challenges right here? Like why, why take the time, the effort, and the money to go there looking to see if there's something we can do? The answer to that question is love. Real love looks beyond our own backyard and looks beyond our own needs. Real love looks to the needs of God's world. And if they're created in the image of God and are loved by God, then any person on the planet is worth going to and loving in Jesus' name. Because love is more than a feeling. Love is more than an emotion. Love, we're seeing from Romans 12, is about action. Love is how we live out our faith in the real world. World, So we're asking God in this season to stretch our capacity, to enlarge our ability to love. Love God with all that we are and to love our neighbor just like we love ourselves. And that's not as easy as it seems. Now to recap, what have we, what have we seen about love so far? Real love is sincere. It doesn't pretend. Real love hates what's evil. Real love clings to what's good. Real love is hardworking. It's not lazy. Real love is passionate. It's literally set on fire by God's Holy Spirit to live differently. Real love is joyful. Real love is patient. Real love is faithful when it comes to prayer. Now, don't get overwhelmed by the lists, okay? Sometimes we think that, that following Jesus is about following lists. And if I do this, I'm on point. And if I don't do this, I'm off track. Well, lists are helpful, but this is not intended to be a checklist, this is intended for us to see how amazing Jesus is. Because, by the way, Jesus doesn't play act. Jesus hates evil. Jesus does what's good. Jesus is set on fire. Jesus is hardworking. Jesus is faithful in all things. So what we're doing is we're saying, God, we want to be more like Jesus, and we intentionally want to partner in that transformation. Some people think, well, you know, I'm following Jesus, so my life's just going to change. I say, no, it's not. Jesus loves us, but he's inviting us to actively participate in the transformation. In other words, growth for you can be accelerated when you say to God, I want more. Growth for you can be stunted when you get lazy and when I get lazy. 
and we take things for granted. And we don't want to be that kind of people. All right, so let's do what we've done every week. We're going to look at the, the context, what, what happens before and after, and we'll look at one line. Let's read Romans 12, verses 9 through 13 together. It says, uh, Love must be sincere. Hate what's evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And this is the line I'm going to look at today. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Two more things. Again, not the to-do list, but two more dimensions of Jesus that we want to see play out in our world are in verse 13. We'll look at them in turn. Write these two down. Number one, real love is generous. Real love is, is generous. Say it with me. Real love is generous. Say it again. Real love is generous. So what I do is I look at multiple English translations to help give me what that looks like, okay? We read the New International Version. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. English Standard Version. Contribute to the needs of the saints. New Living Translation. When people are in need, be ready to help them. You're kind of getting the picture of what generosity looks like. Share, contribute, be ready and able to give to someone. In other words, we want to grow in the area of generosity. Now, the word here in Greek, the original language is koinoneo or koinonia. And some of you, if you've been around church for a while, you understand that word koinonia because uh, it means fellowship or closeness. I grew up in a church uh, that had a fellowship hall. Am I the only one? There was like a room where, you know, you could be nice in that room. Outside that room, all bets are off, you know. But so we had the sanctuary, the holy place, right? It was like pristine red carpet. It literally, I grew up in New York, you couldn't wear shorts in the sanctuary because it was, that would be dishonoring. I'm not saying that was, that made me mad. But I'm just saying, like, that was like, that was the place where we met with God. And then in the basement <laughs> was the fellowship hall. And it was a big room, and it was great, because on Friday nights our youth met there. Saturday nights they did concerts. It was big enough to have a cafe-style concerts. And, and then on Sundays, especially in the summer, people would bring food, and that was like fellowship meant eat, Right? And it was one of those things, it was, it was pre the era of allergies, so people could bring food without long labels, right? And we couldn't, we literally could not pull this off. When we do our summer, like, barbecue thing, we're like, well, why don't we just have everyone bring food? I'm like, I don't want to get sued. So we do the food. We'll still get sued anyway one of these days. But the fellowship hall was the place where, where you can, like, you bring the food, and, and then after being in the holy place with God, then we go and we eat too much and never repent, right? And that was, to me, that, but, but it was healthy because the, the, the spot, there was like an intentional spot in the building for Jesus' people to hang out. And that, that to me, left the best impression. Now, I don't think, now I know Paul, who's writing to a church with no building, is not thinking fellowship, right, share with one another. He's not thinking potluck, right? He's not thinking bring food to a building and, and share it with one another. He's thinking of something more rich. He's saying koinonia, fellowship, equals shared resources, which is a beautiful term and a beautiful thought 
that unfortunately in our hyper-individualistic world where everything that is important has to do with me, we have seemed to lose in the church and we want to regain it. We want to regain a view of what koinonia, of what, what Jesus' fellowship is all about. Really, it's about being generous. Now, he qualifies what generosity looks like. Look at the verse again. Look at verse 13. He qualifies, share it with the Lord's people, the, the English Standard Version. Literally, it's the holy ones, the saints. Generosity, koinonia, real love, begins at home. And when I say home, I don't mean your house. I mean our house. It begins with where God's put you, where God's placed you. Remember, he's writing to a church that's meeting in homes, but they're not all like biological relatives. The church is made up of rich and poor, of young and old, Jew and Gentile. Their religious backgrounds aren't even the same. They've come together in Jesus' name, and now he's like, okay, you want to really show the world what love is like? Share your resources willingly. In other words, we're to prioritize the resources that God's given us to give us room for generosity for the people who are closest to us. Now, this may seem self-serving as I'm one of the leaders of a church, and your giving has a direct impact on my financial health. I'm paid by the church, so I'll give you the disclaimer. But I'm very uninterested in you giving more money to impress anybody. I am interested in you having joy, absolute joy in your experience of following Jesus. And it is impossible to experience the fullness of joy of following Jesus if we do not learn and walk in koinonia, in closeness, in fellowship. The implication here is that they would know each other well enough to know each other's needs, which obviously in our world is a depth of relationship that even close friends often don't get to. It is possible to be really close friends with some people, whether it's at school, at work, here in the church, in your neighborhood, and actually not know what's going on. It's absolutely possible and probable that there are deep needs, physical needs, financial needs, emotional needs, educational needs, whatever, that, that are right at your doorstep and you may not be aware of them, or you may not have an ear that's really open to hearing how you can be a part of God's solution. But there is to be a priority of giving with the local Jesus family. So what I want to say is an application for us straight up, because it's directly from the text, is he writes to the church at Rome, you, Jesus people in Rome, share. Practice hospitality. Give to one another. Make sure that needs are covered. Direct application is your giving to Jesus matters. It matters. And I, I'm not sharing this because I got a cut of the take. Like I, 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 I'm sharing this because this is life-giving, and this is how God designed needs to be met in our world. He puts us in a Jesus family and that's how someone pray, God, will you, I need your help. And he's saying, I put you in a place where you can be helped. The question is, are we open to that? Now, 
this isn't just in Rome. We see it all over the place. A couple years ago, we did a study in the book of Acts. So I'm going to take us back to Acts 4, because this is like a summary statement of early Jesus people living. Acts 4, 32. All the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all that there were no needy persons, just underline it, no needy persons among them. Now, how did this happen? From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had Need And this is an example, verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The Jesus family has always been, by design, a close-knit group. So this means we let people into our world. Now, two sides of the same coin here that we got to deal with. We have to deal with pride on both sides. There is a pride, a unhealthy pride that refuses to let other people in. And it's, it's trying to be what we're not, like perfect. And so there, there's a temptation that we're going to have, I'm going to have, you're going to have, to not really let people in. Why? Because my mom and dad told me you can do it. My mom and dad told me, my culture, my teacher said that it's a, you're a failure somehow to be in a tight spot. So I must project success. I must project the better me, the completed me, the me I hope to be, rather than the me that I am right now. And let's just call it what it is. It's pride. And it's not going to help. And it's actually going to keep God's people from being God's answer to you if you don't let people in on what's going on. So that's one side of pride. The other side of pride is those of us with resources. we got to be honest to confess that we have been given by God more than enough. Like we've been given more than enough. How many of you had breakfast this morning? How many had breakfast? If not, we offer free donuts. That was your own problem. Uh, we, we had breakfast you have, you have more than enough. We're, we're going to have our Super Bowl parties, right? We have more calories waiting for us in our house than we know what to do with or we should do anything with. But we have more than enough. We don't think about clean water. We turn on the tap. More than enough. We have health care available all over like few places in the world. It's not perfect. We have more than enough. We have been blessed. So there's one side of pride that says, I'm not going to let anyone in. There's another side of pride that says, what's mine is mine. And thank you, God, for giving it to me. And here's how I intend on spending it. And, and there's nothing wrong with having more. There is something wrong with saying, God's intention of giving me more was all to spend it on me and mine. And that's pride. So we need to deal with both angles. Now here's the beautiful thing. In Acts 4... We get this interesting phrase. Look at verse 36. Joseph, uh, the Levite from Cyprus, sells his house. He has property, and he sells it, and he puts it at the apostles' feet. And it's interesting, they call him 
Barnabas, which means encourager. Man, you sold your home, you gave it to church. That's, that's encouraging. So evidently this guy's got a reputation for refreshing others. He ends up traveling with Paul, and he's the, kind of, he's the person that resources the vision. He's not necessarily always the leader, but he's always with the leadership team, helping them move on, move forward. And it's beautiful because we get his name. Um, this is maybe a radical idea. There's something beautiful to giving in secret, but it doesn't mean generosity is always supposed to be a secret uh, virtue or a secret practice. As a matter of fact, we know billions of people throughout history have learned that Joseph sold his home. And, and Luke, the writer of Acts, has no problem telling the world, look at what this guy did for the church. You see, we don't want to flaunt our giving. And by the way, Jesus is teaching isn't contradictory. Jesus said, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you're giving, give in secret. But the context there is Jesus is talking to stuck-up teachers who are saying we're super spiritual because look at all we do. And Jesus looks at that kind of false humility and says that's pride on display. These guys need to do it in secret because they're doing it with the wrong motive. They're doing it as a show. So giving that's for show is never honoring to Jesus. But giving that's public and in Jesus' name to honor him can be a beautiful thing and it actually can motivate. Acts is written to tell the story of how the movement goes forward. And I've got to believe that as Luke, by the Spirit, writes Acts and they hear about Joseph and Barnabas selling a home, it must have stimulated someone to say, well, man, if that's what God's people have been doing, that's what I want to do. I want to be a son of encouragement. I want to be a blessing. And so giving can be an encouragement when it's public. So which should you give, in secret or in public? And to the answer to that is yes. You should totally do both. And there are moments where it's better to do it in secret. And there are moments where it's better to shout it from the rooftops. God is good and it's his. And it could stimulate others to give. So uh, you, know, you say, well, why does this matter? I'll give you... Uh, I'll give you an example, just one of many. Six years ago, we, we had a team that were deciding to plant this church. We turned six this coming Easter. And so we were meeting just behind the scenes, praying, dreaming. I happened to be in one of uh, the meetings with a couple of our leaders. And it was a Monday. And on Sunday, while driving to church, my car just like was wacky. It pulled over, got it towed, and went to the mechanic. And and so we're in the meeting, get the call from the mechanic, and he says, yeah, your transmission is shot, which is exciting. And uh, that's exactly what I did. I snorted at him. And so I was like, okay, well, um, you know, how much is that? I'm so sorry. I won't even look that direction. Uh, so I can't, well, what's, what's, you know, where do one of these things go? And I think it was about like $3,500 or something like that for a rebuilt transmission. And my wife and I, we try to be disciplined. We try to save. I didn't have just an extra 3500 you know. Oh, no problem. I'm happy to give that to you for my, re not even a new one, for a rebuilt one. And I just shared, you know, I was like, oh, okay, great, great. I'll call you back. And got off the phone, and one of the leaders in, in that meeting said, well, what is it? Oh, it's my transition. Uh, what's it going to cost? It's, I think it was 35 37 whatever it was. And he's like, oh, no problem. Do it. I'm like, it sounds easy, you know. Um, no, he's like, no, I'm saying 
do it. You need your car. Do it. We got it covered. And he and his wife, he, on behalf of his wife, already just said, do it. And you know what? They didn't give it to the church for a tax write-off. They just paid the bill. Now, he's like, wow, Christians do that? Yeah. And here's the weird thing. For this couple, that wasn't weird. That's just like the Lord provided. And wow, there was a need. I'm there at the right time to meet that need. Now, a, a couple of disclaimers here. I'm not sharing that to say that we're in need, okay? I'm the highest paid person on our church staff, and the elders are super generous, and they love our family, and so I, don't, I have no need. So I'm not saying it, but I am saying as a leader, I have to be honest and open about hitting tough spots, and we all hit them. We all hit seasons of abundance and lack. And as Jesus' people, we need to learn to be honest with the people that God's put in our world because it may seem embarrassing, but it could be God's vehicle of blessing. It may seem like, oh, what am I going to look like? You could look like a human in need of help. And you are. And we, we, we let pride creep in. I'm just grateful that I'm a part of a church where there are many people who just want to be generous. And I know that's, I got to share my story because it's my story. But I have heard many stories in this church of needs that I found out were met by you just because you paid the bill. And that, I think, is a beautiful thing. So giving for us as a community, this is like a family talk. We need to prioritize our giving towards Jesus' people. So your regular giving to the church matters because we take some of what you give and immediately goes into a fund that can help families and individuals in need. So we need to have funds available. When people, we hear of a need, we're able to meet it straight up. But on top of that, not instead of that, on top of that, would you consider giving margin in your world for Jesus' people here? And you say, well, what about the people in another church? That's fantastic, and if God opens the door, be generous to them as well. But I think the text and the context is it has to begin somewhere, and it ought to begin with people that you already know and worship with. we got to leave space to give. Now, this is hard. Uh, it's hard because some of us are like, I'm eating top ramen, Jose. I'm barely making it through school. You're talking about generosity. I'm saying you, you, you can do something. Maybe you can't do all that you want to do. Maybe you can't do every person that you'd like to meet their need. But certainly there's one. There's one need somewhere that has your name on it. And, and we have to, here's, here's the discipline. We have to create the margin in our world to be able to do it. If we're overextended, if we're strangled, we're not going to be able to be the generous people that God wants us to be. So the reason for financial freedom is never to save more, put away more, retire early, and do nothing with your life. That is never God's design. That's the American nightmare. Statistically, people who retire early and do nothing die. They die earlier. You were created by God to produce. Now, it may be that God's taking you out of that career to use that time and energy to something else, but God's always created you to produce 
and we've just, some of you are offended, like, he just said you shouldn't retire early. Yeah, I'm saying you, if you can retire early to give your time, energy, and life away to something that is kingdom-focused, hallelujah. But if the goal is to stuff money away and get out of debt so that you can simply live the lavish lifestyle and waste God's money before you die, that's not God's intention, and I'm starting to get excited about the subject. Because we have to remember, all of this has to do with Romans 12.1, right? In view of God's mercy, offer your whole selves as living sacrifices, wholly set apart by God and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't be conformed, aha, to the pattern of this world. Don't let the world's mold squeeze you. And the world's mold is always going to say, you should spend more on you. And I'm all for us enjoying God's blessing. As long as at the same time we're meeting the needs of those in our church. And God help us if we're so self-focused that we lose sight of each other. Because that's not the church. So this can get, this can get tiring because needs are great. Look at Galatians 6 verses 9 and 10. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, underline the next word, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. In other words, don't become weary. This over time becomes difficult because the more resources God gives you, the more needs you become aware of, and it's possible to shrink back after starting well. well. They call it in today's economy, Donor fatigue. Donor fatigue. You see it all the time. There were a few hurricanes last year, you remember? And there was Houston, and billions of dollars were given. Like, wow, we got to, Houston's drowning, we got to save him. And then there was another hurricane, remember? And like, wow, woo, two, whoa. And, and, let's go. and then there was, there was a catastrophic hurricane in Puerto Rico, and I read articles about it. And the giving towards Puerto Rico was negligible compared to Houston, partly because of donor fatigue. Man, I, I've, I've given, I've given, I've given. And so donor fatigue is a reality. It's easy to get overwhelmed. It's easy to get tired. But can I encourage you, the word to us, Galatians 6 and, and also Romans 12, is let's not become weary in helping those, especially those in God's family. So I'm going to say something that may sound offensive, but that's not the intention. When we consider generosity in all of its forms, and we have all sorts of passions, and you have things you want to give to that I don't, and I have things I want to give to that you don't, and we respect that, can we just say as Jesus' people, let's prioritize our giving, and let's focus it as much as we can on Jesus' work here and around the world. In other words, there's all sorts of causes you can give to that are good. But if those causes are tapping you and you have no ability to be generous to God's people, then how are we going to live this out? Now, ideal world is be generous to all of it. Great. Wonderful. But if you have to prioritize, we prioritize one another. Why? We're family. 
So all of these dimensions of real love are how we would treat our biological family. If you have a good relationship with your biological family, assume you do, I have a great one, and, and there's two needs, and there's my physical brother, and there's someone I kind of heard of, who am I going to give to? I'm going to prioritize with, with my family. In Jesus, guess what? Your family just got expanded. And that's what he's saying is the mark of the church is we live for not just our immediate biological or adoptive family. We live for the Jesus family. But that's not all. Because when you say, Jose, man, you're saying like discount everyone else and give to Christians. That sounds very selfish. Read the second half of the verse. Calm down. Okay, Romans 12, 13. You got to read the whole thing. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Second half, practice hospitality. Okay, first thing, real love is generous. Second thing I want to see is real love is welcoming. Real love, genuine love is welcoming. Hospitality in Scripture most often has to do with being generous and gracious to guests, to visitors, to people who are not going to be there for a long time. And hospitality for us you know, who do you invite to this party or that? We don't think about it because we have our own places to stay. And we have, if we're traveling, you've got Airbnb and you've got hotels and you have hostels. You have, you have all these options. In the ancient world, none of them were there. So hospitality was how you survived. If I live in Ephesus and I'm going to Rome, there's no hotel to go to. So I hopefully have a good enough reputation that when I get to town, I'm hoping someone will literally take me in. And when it's hot or rainy or dangerous, I need a place to go. So the ancient world lived on hospitality. When you came to town, I took you in, whether I knew you well or not. And when, when, you, when it goes in reverse, you let me in, and we take care of each other. That's why, by the way, if you read the Law of Moses, read the first five books of the Bible, you're going to find a lot about God's word to Israel practicing hospitality and taking in strangers and helping those who have no home because that's the heart of God. And so hospitality is embedded in the DNA of the Bible. And then Jesus takes it to a whole new level. Those in the nation of Israel were to take care of people who are traveling, welcome them in. And now Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And someone says, well, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells an interesting story. We call it and coin it the Good Samaritan. It's actually a slap in the face to God's people. That's what Jesus does. Because there's a priest and a Levite, the religious people, who walk by a guy who's got no, nothing. He's got no place to go. He's been robbed. He's on the road. He's bleeding and dying. And they just walk by. They don't show him hospitality. They don't welcome this broken soul. They look by and they keep going. And then Jesus slaps him in the face by saying, there was a Samaritan, which in their view was not a, a good God follower. Second class for sure. But the Samaritan stops and the Samaritan bandages the wounds. And the Samaritan puts this poor soul on his own animal and takes him to the inn and cares for him. And then says, he's got an open tab. I got to go. But whatever you spend, when I return, I will pay it. And that's a picture of Jesus' dimension of hospitality. That's like, that's being ridiculous. That's going over the top to someone that has no connection. This, this Samaritan and this broken soul, they have nothing in common and there's nothing he could do to help him back. 
But the idea of hospitality is that we show love by being generous to the believer and also generous to those who are far. And we welcome people in. It's a lost art. One of the writers and commentators, Leon Morris, a great commentary on Romans, he wrote this line that really struck me. and It made me mad, and then I was convicted and repented. It says, Christian hospitality must inconvenience us more than that of the world. We do not choose our time or our guests. Hospitality is about being inconvenienced. It's about, in the moment, a need, a person, a care, and we, we step in whether we know them or we don't. So, again, generosity is focused believer to believer. We love one another, but we don't just love ourselves. God wants to expand our capacity to care for people that, that are strangers to us. And that may look like immigration today. It, it may look like the people who are coming to our city or our country uh, who don't look like us and don't speak the same language and, and there's nothing we're going to gain by befriending someone who's come here with nothing. But we're God's people, so we realize that the time is now and the place is here and God's brought people to our world and so we, we extend hospitality. It's inconvenient, yeah. Um, the timing's horrible, yeah. We welcome people in. So love, real love, goes beyond the borders of what's comfortable and what's acceptable. Love gets extended. And that's why Hebrews 13 says this. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. So hospitality is about welcoming people that we don't know. It's about going to places that we don't care to go. Prisons or places where people are suffering. And so hospitality has so many forms. Real love is welcoming. And, and by the way, Hebrews, the writer hints back at the blessing of showing hospitality multiple times in Genesis. And this is what he's referring to as Abraham and as Isaac and Jacob and others welcomed people in that were strangers. They didn't realize God had come. God had, had come and visited and God had sent messengers to visit. They didn't realize who was really there. In other words, you never know who you're really welcoming now, I'm not going to sound ethereal. Jesus gives substance to this. He says, truly, truly, Matthew 25, whatever you did for me or one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And so to Jesus, when we tie hospitality, what happened in Genesis all the way to now, since Jesus' death and resurrection, to welcome the stranger, to welcome the foreigner, to welcome those who've been rejected, is in fact to welcome Jesus. So yes, you're helping the person, but you're actually lining up with God and his kingdom and, and the reward is by Jesus because he sees that you really did it for him. And we just want to be that kind of people. Wouldn't you like to welcome Jesus to your Super Bowl party? I mean, that would be, be amazing, especially when, I'm not going to say which team will win. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. All right. So, so where do we go from here? We already hit some of the application. We want to leave margin in our room 
for people because Jesus is generous. And all of this, friend, if you see this as a must-do to be a believer, you missed the plot line, and please watch this or listen again. These are the outgrowth of a life that's been transformed. So when you receive the Holy Spirit, God lives within you. And when you begin to realize that God is with you, you can act like God would. So generosity is the heart of God, and Jesus is the perfect example of, of ridiculous generosity who gives to everyone. All the disciples throughout the Gospels are saying, Jesus, will you slow down? He's like, but there's one more. But there's one more. But look at this person. And, and what about that person? They're like, Jesus, you need to eat. Well, poof, here's food. And Jesus, you need to sleep. It's like, no, 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 no. We work while there is light. As long as it's day, it's a time to work. There'll be a time that comes when there's no longer light. As long as God's given you ability, let's live like Jesus. By the way, this is a lifelong pursuit. So if you're like, man, on the generosity scale, I'm not doing so well. Congratulations, there's room for more. There's room for more. This isn't a guilt trip. This isn't a point the finger. This is a God. I get to grow and live like you, which will be painful at first. But let me tell you, joy is the result of a life that's marked by generosity. Two questions to drive now our worship. First one is tough. How much room is in my heart for people? How much room is in my heart? How much is in your heart? Generosity, you think, oh, Jose, you're talking about money, you're talking about selling houses, you're talking about, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's a heart issue. Generosity is always a matter of the heart. And as long as in my heart I see it as mine, it's going to be my decision to make on what I let go of. But when my heart conforms to the will of God, the good, the pleasing, the perfect will of God, I realize all resources are grace, all resources are gift. They all come from God, they all belong to God, and they don't all need to be spent on me. But rather, God uses people like me and you to answer needs. How much room is there in your heart for people? And then the second one, how much room is in my home for people? Hospitality is about more than writing a check. Generosity does have to do with giving of resources, but hospitality in the end is about welcoming, welcoming people into your world. So let's get super practical. Is your calendar so full that there's absolutely not one day of the week for other people. I would just invite you to give your, give your app to Jesus. Give your calendar and ask the Holy Spirit, what's the good thing? Because it will always cost you something that's good. What's the good thing that needs to go so that I have room for the better thing? And others is, is the better thing. And so we need to we need to make room in our calendar. We need to make room in our budget. Uh, I think many of us were just we're so on the edge, and it may take us a while to correct that. But have we even factored generosity into the fabric of what comes in naturally? Not just the bonus occasionally, or the windfall. Like you know, that's cool. But the regular, consistent giving to others. Have we, have we factored? Do we want to see that grow? Do we have faith to believe that God can expand our ability to be wise so that we can actually take the same amount of money and use it better 
so that other people could be cared for in Jesus' name? Do we see that as the better way? Do we see that as the better life? And for some of us, if you're, if you're not yet following Jesus, this is crazy talk. I, I, I'm with you. And I, w- I, w- I wouldn't do this. But because of Jesus, I see this as this is just the best way to live. And I pray that we're marked by radical generosity and radical hospitality. Well, uh, if you're feeling convicted, that's okay. But don't just, don't just stay there. Now let's invite the Holy Spirit to apply the Word of God to the real world. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is as we stand up, and why don't you just do it now. As we stand up, let's invite the Holy Spirit to begin to apply this. And by that, I mean, we're not going to sing a song yet, all right? We just want to create a minute, all right? Just a minute to allow God the space to now tell us, to tell you, Jose, Carmen, Gabriel, Steve, Scott, whoever, this is what I want you to do as a first step, all right? What I like to do is to align my body with where my mind is going. So I'm going to invite you, this isn't weird, this is just good, to just close your eyes and put out your hands in an open posture that says, okay, God, I'm open. I'm, I'm just open to your way of thinking. And then Brandon's just going to play for a bit. He'll start to sing in a bit. Ask the Holy Spirit of God what it is that he's asking you to do. 